Hearing dark stories in a podcast is one thing, but living in darkness is quite another. If you're living with depression and trying to deal with it using alcohol, illegal drugs, or other bad influences, please pick up the phone right now and get help. 800-831-1560. Every 12 minutes, someone dies of an overdose. Every 6 minutes, from alcohol abuse. Call 800-831-1560. With the FMLA, you can even take a leave of absence from your job and still keep it. 800-831-1560. This episode is dedicated to the men and women of our armed forces and first responders. Whether you are currently serving or have served in the past, you are appreciated. It is because of your courage and sacrifice that we enjoy the freedoms and liberties we hold dear. And I, for one, appreciate every single one of you for protecting what many of us take for granted. So thank you. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. In today's world of social media posts, comments, replies, shares, and likes, it has become an obsession for people to get noticed, sometimes doing extreme things to make it happen. Some take on dimwit internet challenges. Others perform dangerous stunts on film. Many hope to find fame by singing already popular songs. And then, there are those on the darker side who want fame, killing simply to get their name in the paper and on television. And to the darker side of dark, there is Luke Magnata, who chose to seek fame in the most horrific of ways, by becoming a murderer, on camera, and then becoming a cannibal while sending other body parts around the world, just for notoriety. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos. This is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale for me to tell, fact or fiction, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com. And if you're new here, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you happen to be listening via YouTube, please click that like button and the notification bell. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… With Disney's live-action Aladdin coming to theaters, Many are expressing their opinions about the horror of Will Smith in the role of the genie, how he looks and how he acts. But the truth behind real genies is much more terrifying. An army wife and weirdo family member opens her heart and shares how horrible one of her homes felt, and the only relief she could find was moving out. But first, we begin with the story of Luke Magnata, who would do anything for fame, and he chose the darkest and most sadistic way to achieve it. Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. 
When Lin Jun disappeared in 2012, his family and friends could never have imagined the horrors that lay in store. As the Luke Magnata case unfolded, police would find extreme narcissism, cannibalism, and degradation, the likes of which Canada had never seen before. In one of the most bizarre deaths of 2012, Magnata took Lin Jun's life on camera, posted it to the internet, gained a fan base, and even sent body parts around the world just to cause a stir. The Luke Magnata crimes were grisly, and looking deeper into them is bound to make some people queasy. Before you listen on, be warned that this story is not for the faint of heart. Many descriptions here are pretty nauseating. You may be wondering what exactly did Luke Magnata do? Well, the better question may be, what didn't he do? His actions range from participating in maturely themed films to violating a human corpse. As stated earlier, not exactly something you want to hear before bed. That being said, the case of Magnata is one that is morbidly fascinating. Luke Magnata's biggest claim to horrifying fame came when he began dating Lin Jun. Jun hid his preference for men from many people and was an international Chinese student from Wuhan at Concordia University. He began seeing Magnata in 2012, and then one day, in May, he simply vanished. On May 25th, a video surfaced online called One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. In the video, Jun is seen tied to a bed frame while Magnata plunges into him over and over with an ice pick and a kitchen knife. Magnata then dismembers Jun and desecrates the lifeless body. There's even a dog brought in to chew on the body. It would take days for people to recognize that they were bearing witness to Lin Jun's actual demise. While the video still exists in some corners of the dark web, the description of its contents are graphic. Magnata used Jun's severed arm to fondle himself, forced his penis into the mouth of Jun's severed head, and further sodomized the corpse with a wine bottle. He also used a steak knife and a fork to cut away portions of Jun's flesh, as if he may eat them. While the video posted online does not show this happening, police later reveal that there is additional footage that was never shared on the internet. When they searched Magnata's apartment, they uncovered a longer version of the video and said that it looked like Magnata was eating Jun's flesh from his corpse. After he was caught, he was accused of cannibalism in court. As police searched his apartment, another horrifying development took place. Strange, smelly, and blood-stained packages began to show up at various political party offices and schools throughout Canada. A hand and a foot showed up in Ottawa political offices and were quickly linked to June. False Creek Elementary School in British Columbia received a body part package, as did St. George's School, a private school for boys, police realized they were still missing the head, the leg, and the other foot. While Jun's head was later discovered in a park, 
some of the body parts never did turn up. Magnata had a bit of history with the police before he even met Lin Jun. In 2010, he put up a video online called One Boy, Two Kittens, where he put two kittens in a vacuum bag, sucked out the air, and suffocated them. He was then seen rubbing the animal's lifeless bodies against his genitals. In another video, he drowned his pet cat, and in yet another, he fed a kitten to a very large snake. He did this while wearing a hood or a mask in order to hide his identity. However, he had posted with the cats before and several unique personal items in the videos could identify him. Still, this was not enough to get police heavily involved. Online activist groups were outraged as they tried to get police to take these actions seriously. Ominously enough, one member of an activist Facebook group posted, he might end up harming human beings one day. He might just not stop with animals. Prior to June's murder and the kitten videos, Magnata struggled to make ends meet. His modeling career and mediocre internet fame weren't bringing in enough cash for him, so Magnata ended up turning to more lurid means of getting income. After high school, he started doing pornography, particularly gay films. He also was rumored to have been a gay escort and was definitely a stripper at one point. These side jobs began in 2002 or 2003, with him first stripping at Remington's in Toronto and then moving on to recorded work where he played a straight man turned gay with regularity. He sometimes used the name Jimmy, which he kept when he became an escort sometime later. A few of the videos he did remain on various websites. Oddly enough, Luke Magnata was not always called Luke Magnata. Once upon a time, he was called Eric Clinton Kirk Newman, a considerably more ordinary name. Unfortunately, this name was the only part of his upbringing that could be considered normal. His mother and father were both teens when he was born, and he was homeschooled for much of his childhood with no contact with children his own age. His mother was a germaphobe, and it's rumored that even when he was six or seven, his mother forced him to keep wearing diapers. Magnata was verbally and physically abused, and it didn't help that his father's mental health was deteriorating. Money problems forced the Newmans out of their home, which actually proved beneficial for Magnata because he started going to an actual school. However, shortly afterwards, his parents decided to get a divorce when he was 12. From then on, Magnata lived with his mother and her new lover, who was also abusive. School wasn't going well. He was mercilessly teased, never graduated high school, and began showing signs of mental illness, just like his father. Given the nature of how much messed up stuff shows up on the internet, it makes sense that the public would be quick to call the video a fake. Magnata had posted a hint that he would put up the video days before it happened, and perhaps those who watched his violent videos expected another cat video. When it did show up, Mo didn't believe their eyes. The police were among this disbelieving group. On multiple occasions, Interpol, the FBI, and the Toronto police were informed of the video's existence. 
For days, they ignored the video, assuming it was a fake, even when a lawyer by the name of Roger Renville was the one trying to bring attention to the video. Members of the website eventually named Luke Magnata, and when Lynn's dismembered corpse was found in a suitcase outside a Montreal apartment building, police finally sprang into action. So, what was Magnata doing while police searched his apartment and tried to track down June's body parts? He was running away to Europe, not only to hide but to have a good time. Canada tried to let transportation services know that Magnata was wanted, but by the time they got wise, they were informed that he had already boarded a plane to Paris and police had reached his hotel room. He was gone, and all they found were pornographic magazines in his wake. From there, he stayed with random men, some of whom he slept with, though not all, and took videos of himself. He went to parties and lived as if he wasn't on the lam. Even while incarcerated, Magnata was obsessed with keeping up appearances, seeming to thrive on media attention. Because of this and the gruesome behavior, the judge decided that the media would not be allowed in the courtroom. The judge wanted to be certain that Magnata would not gain additional notoriety from his video or his actions. In addition, Magnata was kept in solitary confinement. Of course, Magnata still managed to attract attention. China responded to his anti-Asian sentiments and his insanity defense was hotly debated. Keeping things quiet still didn't keep Magnata's name out of the papers. Magnata was not only obsessed with his physical appearance but also with his internet persona. He maintained a presence on Stormfront, a white supremacist site, and had at least 70 pages on Facebook. He also frequented snuff film and gore sites, particularly Best Gore. It was there that he posted the Lin Jun video, but not before posting a preview video, hyping up his watchers and promising a better video soon. After the attack, he posted about his actions, brazenly bragging and talking about his bloodlust. He made a video of himself smoking and enjoying life in Europe as he fled. He even told one reporter by email, once you hurt someone and taste blood, it's impossible to stop. Possibly the most terrifying thing left after Magnata's incarceration is that he still has people who greatly admire him. People send him love letters in prison, his dark videos still circulate online, and a few fans even try to emulate his look. There are fan pages for Magnata on Facebook and entire websites devoted to him. His cult following says they support him against persecution. One fan online stated, Maybe it's my mind's way of coping with the inexplicable dichotomy of beauty and the beast, the extreme beauty of the person versus the extreme ugliness of the alleged act. I don't know. All I do know is that I feel powerless to control these thoughts and there is an amazing, physical, warm sensation when I think of him, something akin to love. Luckily for the rest of the populace, Magnata won't be getting out of prison to meet his fans anytime soon. Magnata was absolutely smitten with himself. In 2006, Magnata began dating a transgendered woman named Barbie. He shared about how deep his narcissism ran as his apartment was like a shrine dedicated to himself and his favorite pastime, 
was having his picture taken. In 2007, Magnata auditioned for a reality show called Cover Guy, during which he spoke at length about the work he had done, saying he was devastatingly good-looking. When he didn't get onto the show, he tried out for another reality show called Plastic Makes Perfect, where he told the judges, I've had my nose done, I've had two hair transplants, and I'm planning on having muscle implants in my pecs and my arms. For Magnata, appearance was everything. Magnata didn't stop with animal abuse. In 2004, Magnata began seeing a mentally handicapped woman. He took advantage of her and forced her to buy credit cards for him. Magnata then spent over $10,000 before he was caught and charged. During sentencing, Magnata was told he had a serious psychiatric issue and needs to take medication. His sentence was for 12 months probation. Police originally believed Magnata sexually assaulted the mentally handicapped woman and filmed it. However, the charges concerning that assault were dropped before the trial. Magnata loved spreading rumors about himself. While animal rights activists were hunting him down, Magnata would go on message boards and post pictures of himself as if saying, come and get me. There was even a time where he spread an internet rumor that he was dating Carla Homolka, who allegedly aided her husband, Paul Bernardo, in the assault and murder of at least three teenage girls. This was so well-believed that he was interviewed about it by the Toronto Sun, where he coyly denied the very rumor he had started. If the mythological beings who appear in movies to grant people wishes were jinn rather than genies, the person who rubbed their lamp might wish they hadn't. Jinn are the supernatural creatures who inspired the modern-day genie. But unlike the magical characters of I Dream of Genie and Walt Disney's Aladdin, these beings aren't interested in helping people and making friends. Tales of jinn go back long before the advent of Islam, but their inclusion in the Quran gave them the notoriety that has allowed them to permeate our modern culture. In some parts of the world, flesh-eating malevolent jinn are lesser-known paranormal entities similar to lamp-dwelling genies. What is a jinn? There are different categories of jinn, and while not all are evil, the ones who are can be pretty scary. Some jinn, spelled J-I-N-N by the way, may be content with playing pranks, but others are said to possess people which can sometimes lead to exorcisms gone wrong. Since they live in a world parallel to humans, these beings can't be seen unless they reveal themselves. Like the creepy night hag, Jinn simultaneously exist in their world and ours, and they do whatever they please. Jinn are not inherently good or evil, although many choose to indulge in bad behavior. They have a reputation for being mischievous and are known to deceive and fool humans. In addition to pulling pranks, they may change shape, tell lies, or otherwise lead people astray and corrupt them. Some people also blame jinn for their health problems. In 2000, teachers at a school in Saudi Arabia blamed jinn for causing seizures in their students. 
Some even believe Jin can trick doctors into giving incorrect diagnoses and performing unnecessary surgeries. Islamic scholars refer to Jin as dual-dimensional, meaning they have the ability to exist in both the human world and their own. Because of this, along with their ability to shapeshift, Jin are never seen by humans unless they choose to reveal themselves. In fact, Jin is translated as something concealed, invisible or hidden. Some Islamic scholars believe humans will never even be able to understand Jin, aside from the few messengers and prophets who have been able to maintain contact. According to witnesses, Jin sometimes have hooves or hairy legs, can be male or female, and have the ability to fly. Some believe each person is assigned an individual jinn who watches over them and acts as a companion. The connection between jinn and human is sometimes so close that stories have emerged about humans and jinn falling in love. According to the Quran, Allah created angels the day before He created jinn, saying, Indeed, we created man from dried clay of black and smooth mud, and we created the jinn before that from the smokeless flame of fire. It's generally believed all angels are jinn, but not all jinn are angels. Unlike angels, which Allah created from light to follow His commandments, Allah gave jinn free will and magical powers, making them kind of like a group of super-powered humans. It was this free will that eventually led the jinn to grow prideful over thousands of years and believe themselves better than Allah. Angered by this, Allah sent the angels to fight them, offing most of the evil jinn in the process. Allah then created man from clay and ordered the angels and jinn to honor Adam, the first man. Jinn share many qualities with humans, the most important of which is free will. They choose what to do with their lives. They can get married, have children, drink, eat, find jobs, form communities, and decide whether or not to be Muslim. Like humans, jinn will supposedly be judged on the final day of reckoning. According to Islam, Allah assesses jinn just like humans and sends them to paradise or hell depending on how they lived. According to some Islamic researchers, jinn can possess people. In stories, people possessed by jinn often speak in tongues, have seizures, or become uncharacteristically aggressive. Luckily, believers say jinn can be exercised through ceremonies that include reading from the Quran or using incense, charms, animal teeth, or salt to drive the jinn away. In some cases, people have physically beaten possessed people to remove the jinn. In addition to people, jinn can also inhabit inanimate objects, including precious stones and gems. They may haunt houses or other buildings like schools, as well as sewers and drain pipes, and, apparently, bottles. While most people are unable to see jinn, poets and prophets share a special connection with them. Several Arabic poets throughout history claimed to have been inspired by their jinn, leading to the creation of the term sha'ir to explain this supernatural phenomenon. According to Islam, Allah sent the prophet Muhammad to share his word among the jinn as well as humans. 
King Solomon of Israel could communicate with jinn. He used it to make them do what he wanted. Solomon reportedly forced rebellious jinn to help him cure sick people and persuade them to construct the first temple. While many jinn are content to either ignore or simply play pranks on humans, the category of jinn known as ghouls would rather eat them. As some of the most feared jinn, ghouls enjoy feasting on flesh and drinking blood. In ancient times, people told stories of ghouls who would walk through the desert to prey on travelers. The dangerous jinn would transform into beautiful women to attract their prey. Some legends claim men married ghouls without knowing their true form and became their next meal. It's believed ghouls spend most of their time in uninhabited or abandoned places, especially ruins and graveyards. Considered to be among the evilest of all jinn, Infrit built communities and established social hierarchies similar to those of humans. Ifrit usually marry and have children among members of their clan or tribes, but stories exist about their relations with humans. Some even marry humans and have children with them. Many people believe Ifrit hang out in ancient ruins to protect them. Legends claim these jinn will end the lives of trespassers that enter these areas without using the proper spells. Believers say people should avoid Ifrit whenever they can, as the spirits can be dangerous. The Romans adopted jinn into their culture as they expanded their empire into parts of modern Syria. Their version of jinn were benevolent guardians, though, and the Romans referred to these spirits in Latin as genii. Many years later, in 1704, Antoine Galland translated Arabian Nights, also known as 1001 Nights, for European readers for the first time. He produced the first translation in French and substituted the djinn of the story with the French word genie. As the story spread and people translated them into other languages, the word genie stuck, as did the idea of these spirits being all-powerful yet kind-hearted. A few stories in Arabian Nights, including Aladdin, didn't appear in the original and are believed to have been written by Galland himself. After inspecting Galland's diaries, scholars learned a man named Hannah Diab told Galland the additional stories, and Galland wrote them down. However they came to be, the tales in Arabian Nights molded our conception of genies into the beings seen in modern movies and television. Jinn known as Marid are what most people picture when they think of genies. Marid Jinn wield a lot of power and grow to a large size, their name means giant in Arabic, and they have the ability to shapeshift. According to legend, Marid can grant wishes but require a lot of convincing to do so. It is said that flattery works to earn the favor of a Marid. If compliments don't do the trick, a summoner may need magic to imprison them. Although there is debate as to whether he was an angel or a jinn, one being named Iblis refused to obey Allah's words. When Allah created man and asked the angels and jinn to bow before Adam, Iblis thought himself superior to humans and refused. 
Allah then forced Iblis to leave paradise and live in hell. Iblis accepted this, but requested that he be allowed to remain in contact with humans so he could try to influence them towards evil. Some theologians compare Iblis to Satan, but point out Iblis has no power over humans. Any evil actions blamed on him are the fault of the sinners. Long before Muhammad began sharing the Quran, many ethnic groups in the Middle East, including ancient Mesopotamians, Bedouins, and Arabs, believed in jinn. They worshipped them, connected the jinn to the natural world, and thought they held power over the fertility of the land. To the ancient Mesopotamians, these often shapeless demons were neither good nor bad, but could arrive via storms or strong winds to punish the wicked and cause disease. Although jinn are sometimes referred to as demons, the term is a translation of the Greek word daemon, meaning spirit, and didn't have implications of evil in the ancient world. Even frightening jinn like Pazuzu, featured in William Friedkin's 1973 film The Exorcist, were not all evil. The Mesopotamians sometimes called on Pazuzu to protect children and women. Our final story comes from an army wife and weirdo family member who, after listening to the podcast, felt the need to share her dark experiences in a former home, and the only relief she could find was moving out. But first, I want to take a moment and instead of telling you about a sponsor, I'd like to give you the opportunity to save a life. For the next couple of days only, I'm going to forego the commercials and just ask that you feed a starving child for an entire year. And that won't take much, just a one-time gift of $39. That's it. Imagine that, the cost of a single meal with you and your spouse or partner could feed a child for an entire year in places like Guatemala, Haiti, or the Dominican Republic. If you can give more than just that $39, how about $78 to feed two children, $117 to feed three, or so on? Whatever you feel in your heart to give, please do so now. You can call 866-822-4883 or you can click on Weird It Forward at WeirdDarkness.com. That's 866-822-4883 or you can visit WeirdDarkness.com and click on Weird It Forward. I also have a direct link in the show notes. Hi, Darren. I'll start with saying that I'd like to remain anonymous about this, and you'll see why when you read on. I love your show and the way you handle the dark topics while also helping your listeners to keep a foot on safe ground. I've had a life of recurring creepiness and encounters and couldn't decide which topic to share with you until this morning. The universe forced me into a certain story that is not my own, well, partially. For years, I've lived on a military base. I got there with excitement and positivity, looking eagerly into the future with my new husband and new family. I was ecstatic at the possibilities. I believe that places have energy, as many of your past episodes may attest to as well. 
The place we lived in was dark and angry, sometimes painfully sad for no reason. I couldn't get myself to feel happy, even though I had every reason to be happy. I've always been a happy person with the desire to push forward. Roadblocks were a thrilling challenge to me. Something about this place made me feel hopeless and miserable. I would have days where I literally would shake my head and think, wait, I'm not mad, or I don't feel this way right now, why am I feeling like this? The rest of the day, sometimes for weeks, I could keep this up. I'd remind myself that those weren't my feelings and I'd be so happy. Most of the time, it was a major struggle. Mind you, I never felt this way before in my life. I would leave for weeks to visit friends, head out on the road for adventure. I'd immediately feel better, free, energetic, and amazing. It was always hard to go back home to that place. Well, I just moved, and I can't explain the feeling. Like I jumped off a cliff hoping for the best and landed gracefully on my feet, and the wind in my hair cleaned that place from me, and now I can live life the way I always have. I feel like myself again, and I'm so happy. I was just thinking to myself how I escaped that place and how glad that we made it out as a family. Well, Darren, this is where you and your show comes in. This morning, only days after moving, we heard news that there was a suicide on base. I don't know the airman, Ed would never say a name, but I needed to talk about it with someone. There have been more than five suicides this year already. I should clarify the way I felt so dark and trapped, so sad and lonely, and I'm not even the one serving our country. I'm just living there to be with my husband, so I can't imagine feeling this way about where you live and having that added to the pressures of being active duty. I truly think the place has something hanging over it. I've never been so unhappy while having the perfect life. There were several scary events I could list for you. Ghost stories and creepy things happening constantly. Something mimicking our voices to each other in the house and much, much more, but this, Darren, this scares me to my bones. I was living someone else's emotions or being pulled down by the general energy of the place the whole time I had to be there. I can't explain it, but something is terribly wrong with that place. I wanted to message you because I know you'll pray and have a lot of people behind you sending good energy to this place. Perhaps everyone can take a moment to send good energy to the troops in general. No matter your opinion, these are young kids and they're out in very adult situations, alone. Every time I hear your intro, I think living in darkness isn't just depression. Sometimes it could be a lot more. Sometimes it can be your physical location. For me, this place was the darkness, and now I'm free. Many young airmen and their spouses are there alone and with no one to keep in touch with to stay connected or to feel loved. I always feel like a strong powerhouse of a woman, and that place broke me down to bits. I'll have that place in my prayers every day of my life, but I never want to go back. You definitely don't need to read this on your show. I kind of just needed to vent a little, but if you do read it, I apologize for the vagueness. 
I know you already devote time to the topic. I truly feel there is more than depression going on here in this situation. It was so hard to live there. I'm blessed to have moved and feel so great right now. I feel a haze over the last few years of my life. I remember so many bad moments but nothing in between. It's like I was just going through the motions of life but not living. I feel like I woke up a few days ago from a three-year nightmare and it's the creepiest feeling. We moved and drove away knowing we don't have to go back only this past Tuesday. Well, I better stop rambling. Thank you for all you do. You're an inspiration and I love your work. I hope you know how much you're appreciated and admired by all us weirdos. Signed, Anonymous. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening on YouTube, please click that like button and be sure to subscribe and click the notification bell so you don't miss future episodes. And if you consider yourself a part of the Weirdo family, share the podcast with your friends, family, and coworkers and suggest that they subscribe. At WeirdDarkness.com, you can find Weird Darkness on Facebook and Twitter, along with my personal Facebook and Twitter. You can read creepy stories or watch eerie videos I find online, and join the Weirdos of Marler House Facebook group. It's for anybody who's a fan of the podcast, and you can post memes, communicate with other weirdos. If you're feeling down, you can post about that, and your fellow Weirdo family members can help cheer you up. Look for Weirdos of Marler House on Facebook, or click the link in the show notes. And if you want to contact me through email or send me something through postal mail, you can find my info on the contact page at WeirdDarkness.com. And if you listen via Apple Podcasts or iTunes, how about you leave a review? I'd love to read it and I might read your comment here in the podcast. All stories of this episode are purported to be true, and you can find source links or links to the authors in the show notes. The Man Who Became a Cannibal to Become Famous was written by Laura Allen. The Horror Behind Real Genies was written by Aaron McCann. And There's No Place Like Any Place Other Than Home was submitted anonymously to WeirdDarkness.com. Music in Weird Darkness comes from Midnight Syndicate, Shadows Symphony, and Audioblocks. You can find links to all of them in the show notes. Weird Darkness is a registered trademark of Marler House Productions. Copyright Marler House Productions 2019. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And a final thought. Life is short. Don't take one day for granted. Everything can change in a moment. Be grateful for all you have and all that you are. Remember who's most important to you and always cherish them. Life is a gift and we are blessed. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness.